Well, at long last, I'm going to start the Hebrews uh, series this morning. And as we get started, I want, I want to just uh, review some things. Uh, this, I'm going to take an approach to Hebrews that uh, I'm going to call zoom in, zoom out. So we'll go through the whole book. But my intent is, as we go through the whole book, not to just go verse by verse, but also to look at the themes and the threads so that we don't lose the context. of the book. It's real easy to get lost in context because there's so many details in this book. Um, let's just start in Hebrews uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the worlds. So that, that's how Hebrews starts. It's interesting. There's several things about this introduction that are different than most of the other epistles in the New Testament. What do you notice that's materially different? He yeah, the author doesn't identify himself. Okay, I think that's really important. What else? What else do you notice? Okay, it's specifically to Jews. Although he doesn't say that specifically in that passage. Okay, it, I think that becomes apparent, Grady. But uh, um, he he doesn't actually identify his audience specifically. Right, most of the time it says to the saints in Galatia, or to the saints in Corinth, or. You know, something about who you are to the, to the church in Rome. It doesn't really look like a letter. He just, starts, uh, he just starts talking. But there is something in this verse that indicates um, something about who this is to. What do you notice? It's a, it shows a degree of familiarity. Okay, the fathers. Okay, the fathers. So, the fathers. Who are the fathers? Fathers of the faith. Okay, and who, who would that be? Abraham, Isaac. Okay. Because God spoke to the fathers in the past. So, there's a, he starts off with like a, a historical narrative that is very familiar. Would you agree with that? It's just like there's a very familiar tone here of, hey, you know how God did this in the past. But he carries it forward then to, in, in, a, in a way. Look, look real closely. How does he carry it forward to the present? Who does he address in the present? Spoken to us. And that's really interesting, isn't it? So the author doesn't identify himself, but he starts off with this historical narrative from the fathers to us. And it's a key question is, who's us? So we're going to deal with that question this morning. Now... This book, the first time I ever went through Hebrews with a teacher, I concluded that the book of Hebrews was only for Ph.D. theologians. The average person couldn't understand it. I don't think that was an unreasonable conclusion on my part because of the way it was presented. Because essentially, we spent most of the time explaining why the plain reading of the book was exactly the opposite of what was intended. Of course, what I've discovered since is the plain reading of the book is the plain reading of the book. But if you start off with this basic idea that I think is prevalent, the book of Hebrews has to be turned on its head. And this premise that's normal is this. Um, everybody knows that when Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead, He left the Jewish religion repudiated Judaism, became a Baptist, started Billy Graham crusades, and starting invited people to the front to express Jesus in their heart and leave Judaism. And that's what Jesus did. And so the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jews who had similarly left Judaism, gone down to the front in a Billy Graham crusade, and gotten Jesus in their heart. And now we're considering going back into Judaism again 
and forever losing the salvation that they had gotten at the Billy Graham crusade. Now, that's the normal way this thing's presented. And if you, in my experience, and if you look at it that way, it's really hard to make sense of a lot of it. And you do have to turn it on its head. Fortunately for us, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I've gone through this before, but I just want to review it as we start here. I want to review the first big point of today's lesson, which is Jews did not stop being Jews. Uh, I'm going to make a, my case as to why Paul wrote this book. Whether he did or didn't, uh, as Grady said, it becomes totally obvious that this is a Jewish writer to a Jewish audience as you go through this book. But let's just look at Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he calls himself. And the Hebrew of Hebrews, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, followed the Jewish laws all of his life. Let's look at Acts 28. Some of you may remember this. It wasn't that long ago that we did it. But my communications friends, my communication expert friends tell me that after, an adver- after you have seen an advertisement on TV seven times, it begins to enter your consciousness for the first time that there's an advertisement about a subject and whatever that subject is. So I'm, a, I'm aware that repetition is necessary. And if you get this to the point where you've heard it so many times you can do it in your sleep, then that's a really good thing. Okay, so let's look at Acts 28, verse 17. And it came to pass after these days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he's in Rome here at this point in time. This is toward the end of his ministry. He's going to never leave Rome. He's going he's to be in prison and die there. So he called the leaders of who? The Jews. Leaders of the Jews together. And when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren. Now, why would he call them brethren? Why would he call them brethren? All Abraham's children children are brethren, right? Yeah, they're they're Jews. That's what they called each other. Uh, That that poured it over into the Gentile church and the brethren were those who also became uh, children of Abraham because the children of Abraham, Paul argues, are the children of that believe in the promise. Okay, so brethren. Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers. What are the customs of our fathers? What is it? Keeping the Sabbath Sabbath is a custom of the father. What's another custom of the father? Uh, Observing the holy days. What do we call all that? The customs of the fathers. The law, okay? I've done nothing against the law. And Paul told us, didn't he? He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. This is at the end of his ministry, not the beginning. I've done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem. Okay? At the end of his ministry, I've done nothing against the custom of 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 the fathers. Let's look at Acts 21. Acts 21, verse 17. This is Paul now. And when we, we, that would include Paul and Luke, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. This, in this particular case, I think we're talking about fellow believers in the Messiah. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. James, half-brother of Jesus, best we know, uh, and the lead elder. He's the head of the elders. All Jewish. This is the Jerusalem church. Verse 19 of chapter 21, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. Believed what? That Abraham was their father? 
No, every Jew believed that, right? What did they believe? Jesus is the Christ. They had believed Jesus is the Christ. How many myriads there are who have believed? And they are, as a result of this belief, zealous for the law, the customs of our fathers. If you're zealous for something, what do you do? What? You die for it. Yeah, if you're zealous for the law, what are you going to do? Strenuously keep it, right? You're going to make it a priority in your life. I, I want to keep all these laws. Verse 21, chapter 21 of Acts. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles. Where are Jews among the Gentiles? Where is that? Rome. Where else are Jews among the Gentiles? Corinth. Where else are Jews among the Gentiles? Everywhere that's not Israel, right? Okay. The dispersion. Okay. So you're out teaching the Jews out among the Gentiles. What? What do they hurt? To forsake Moses. What does it mean to forsake Moses? Forsake the law. They've heard that you, Paul, are out teaching Jews that are not in Israel to forsake the law, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor walk according to the customs. What customs? The Jewish customs. The customs of our fathers, right? The thing that Paul said, I've never broken these things. They've heard that you're out teaching the Jews not to have their children circumcised and not to raise their children up to be Jews. That's what they've heard you're teaching. Now, if you read Galatians, you could infer that that is what Jesus, that Paul is teaching. Why? Why could you infer that? What does he say in Galatians? Grace versus law. Grace versus law. What does he tell them not to do? Don't follow the law. Don't follow, don't, well, he doesn't tell them not to follow the law. What does he say? Don't get circumcised. If you get circumcised, then you don't need Christ. If, you, if you're going to look to the law for your sanctification, you won't need Christ. Okay? Now, and, and that's really for everybody. But, so it's, it's, not an unreasonable, it's not an unreasonable conclusion for them to say that. Verse 22 of chapter 21, Acts. What then? The assembly must certainly meet. The assembly. What is that? What's the assembly? The Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders. Who else is in the assembly? Does anybody know what a word assembly, what, it, what is translated here? Ecclesia. Yeah, ecclesia, which means, which is often also translated church. Church just means assembly. So we're the church when we come together. So... The, the people are going to come together and they will hear, for, for they will hear, you have come to Jerusalem. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who've taken a vow. Take them. That's one of the customs to take a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. And that they all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Okay? So here's, here's what the Jewish elders or leaders are telling Paul. You've come. Everything you said is great. Here's what the people have heard about you. The people, these Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that are in the Jewish church at Jerusalem, have all heard you're out in the diaspora teaching the Jews that are among the Gentiles, not to raise their children as Jews, not to be circumcised and not to follow the law. And we know that that's not true of you, Paul. You would never do anything like that because you're a good Jew. So come and take this vow along with these other guys and pay their expenses. And then everybody will know that these rumors about you are false and that you do follow the law. Now, if Paul wanted to make a break for, with Judaism 
and tell these guys, no, actually, I do preach that Moses shouldn't be taught and you shouldn't circumcise your children. If he wanted to teach that, what would he do when they say, come over here and take this vow and show everybody that you also obey the law? What would he do? He would refuse, right? And he would say, no, you misunderstand me completely. We don't, we, we don't, we're not under the law anymore. So therefore, we shouldn't follow the law. That's what he would say, right? But here's what he does. He doesn't do that at all. Verse 25. Um, we'll see. Verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification. Okay, so he did it. Because, as we saw in his testimony to the leaders, Jewish leaders in the church at Rome, or Jewish people in Rome, uh, he, he said, I have never broken the Jewish law. Now, this is completely and totally consistent with the agreement of Acts chapter 15. We won't turn there because I want to get into Hebrews, but you can review on your own if you don't remember. In Acts chapter 15, the... Um, the, the, there's a continental divide of history. It's, it's one of the most uh, poignant events of all human history. And just to go over it with you uh, from, from memory, the, there was a church at Antioch, which is kind of up in Lebanon. And uh, this church had some Jews come up and say, Hey, it's great that you believe Jesus is Messiah, you Gentiles. But if you really want to be perfected in righteousness, which is what salvation includes, right? If you want to be perfected in righteousness, you have to get circumcised and obey the law too. God gave the law for that purpose. So you could be uh, completely enveloped in God's community. And without that, it's not possible to do so. So you need to do that as well, because only through the Jews does salvation come. Salvation, not just from hell to heaven. Uh, you can hardly even find that concept in the Old Testament, although it's there. Salvation is mainly to do with having a life that matters to God and a life that is fulfilled, fulfilling your purpose. That's the Jewish concept of salvation uh, in, in its entirety. So um, in, order to, in order to do that, these, these people from Judea come up to uh, Antioch, tell the Jews... I'm sorry, tell the Gentiles, you have to become a Jew. Now, Paul and Barnabas are there, and they stand up and say, no, you don't. They had to be an argument. So the church said, well, this is really important. You know, we, if we all got to get circumcised and start becoming Jews, that's going to change our church service a bunch. Okay? We're going to have to modify our small groups. Uh, we may even have to change our music worship pastor. Okay? So this matters a lot. Let's go find out what the answer is. So they send a delegation down to, to Jerusalem and they meet with the two um, uh, governing bodies of the church. The elders of the church at Jerusalem, James presiding as chief elder, and the apostles, the twelve apostles of Jesus, Peter presiding as head guy. Because this is a big important question. Historically, all the big important questions of the Christian faith have been decided in church councils. So they present this question, and a huge dispute arises. And some of the Pharisees, who believed Jesus was the Messiah, the passage said, stood up and said, these guys are right. You can't become complete and righteous before God without the law. It's impossible. They've got to be circumcised and obey the law. And there's a big dispute. It's not clear to the group, what the answer is. And then Peter stands up. And Peter says, you know, it was by my mouth that the Gentiles first heard the good news about Jesus. And they received the Holy Spirit just like we did, without becoming a Jew. And God showed me in a dream that God can make things clean. Why do we want to put on these Gentiles who've received the same grace we received a burden that we've not been able to bear? We haven't kept the law. But we know we're saved through the grace of Jesus just like they are. 
And then James gets up and he says, you know, Peter's right. It's the grace of God that makes us righteous. So here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll remain Jews and we'll just ask them, look, just do these things. Because there's Jews in your midst and we don't want a schism to be created because of the Jews in your midst. Don't eat things sacrificed to idols. Don't eat things strangled in their blood and abstain from sexual immorality. He could have, he could have just put all that together saying, don't do pagan worship things. Because that's what you do in pagan worship. You sacrifice animals so you get what you want. And you do pornography, live pornography. So you get what you desire. Because we got Jews out there and we want the Jews and the Gentiles to be one in faith. So we don't want a schism between them. But those people don't need to become cultural Jews. But we're going to remain cultural Jews. Remarkable. Amazing that these guys gave up that power over those Gentiles because they're serving the living God. 150 years later or so, there was a schism between Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles went off without the Jews. And our theology's gotten terrible ever since because we left our foundation. In fact, the medieval church persecuted the Jews. And official church theology, Calvin, uh, Luther, um, the Catholic Church, uh, the official church theology, that this comes from Augustine, uh, was that the church had replaced the Jews. So God had decided, yeah, I made all those promises, but I'm not going to keep them. I'm just going to scuttle those guys, and I'm going to keep them to this church. And the church became anti-Semitic. Really a sad part of Christian history. So, this is the environment that we come to our book of Hebrews. We come to our book of Hebrews in an environment where Jews are Jews. Gentiles are Gentiles. The Gentiles have been asked, hey, don't do pagan worship stuff because the Jews can't have anything to do with you if you do that. But if you'll just do these things, they call it the Noahic Covenant. If you'll just do the things that, Ju that proselytes to Judaism have to do, uh, then, there, then that lowers the cultural barriers for you to have fellowship with the Jews. And you can keep being Gentiles and Jews can be keep being Jews. And we're all united under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're all going to walk by faith. What we do culturally is just not all that important. Now, that's kind of amazing given my background. Because I grew up in a very legalistic church where what you did was everything. How you dressed. You had to be 20 years out of date and in styles in order to be righteous and holy. Uh, you had to speak a certain way. We called everybody in the church brother and sister. Uh, and if you didn't do those things, you weren't holy. It was very exterior, external. So these, the spirit of this is still going on. Okay, But that's not, what, that's not what our foundation is. Our foundation is it's a matter of the heart. So let's go back to Hebrews. So if we have a, if we have a Hebrew writer writing to Hebrew Christians... What we're not going to find is somebody trying to get them to stop being Hebrew. We're not going to find that. That's definitively not going to be the case. So every time that they criticize something about Judaism, we know contextually they're not trying to get them to stop being Jewish. That's really important. So now let me talk about a few other things with respect to the book of Hebrews. We're setting the context here. We want to know who us is. Let me show you that uh, the term, the, the, the degree to which this writer is familiar with the audience. I'm going to propose, and this does not have to be the case, but I'm going to propose that the fact the author doesn't name himself is a matter of familiarity. Okay? If I'm writing to you guys, um, I, you know, I'm texting you or writing you an email, I might, I might or might not say my name because you already have your thing in my address book or whatever, and I expect it to pop up that you know who I am. If I call you on the phone, I might not identify myself because you recognize my voice. Okay? 
I, I think that's part of the reason why this writer doesn't uh, identify himself, because he's so familiar. Let me show you some other things that show how familiar he is. Look at 13.18, Hebrews 13.18. Chapter 13, verse 18, Hebrews. What does he say in chapter 13, verse 18 to this group he's writing to? You'll, you'll see as we go through, the audience never changes. You know, sometimes a writer will say, now let me talk to these people. Okay, in this case, he's talking to the same people. The voice never changes. It's always to the same people. What does he say in chapter 13, verse 18? Pray for us, okay? Um, who do you ask to pray for you? Yeah, you ask brothers to pray for you, right? Would you ask a, a group of strangers to pray for you? You might. You might. But this is a fairly familiar thing that he says here, okay? Let's look at 1319. What does he say in 1319? But I especially urge you to do this that I might be restored to you the sooner. What does that infer? Restored. Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah, you can't restore something that hasn't already been, right? This is not like Romans where he says, I want to come to you for the first time. I've always wanted to come to you, but I've been hindered. And I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. This is that I might be restored to you sooner. Pray for me that I might be restored to you all the sooner. There's, a, there's an inference here where there's not just a familiarity, uh, a, a superficial familiarity, but there's a real relationship here. Let's look at 13.22. <clears throat> and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written to you in a few words. This is an exhortation that he's giving these people. This is, it's not a treatise. It's not an introduction. It's not something... He's exhorting them. And you'll see as we go through the book, it's like, remember. You've know, you got to remember. What, what are you doing? You're straying from what you already know. You've, you've lost your sense of hearing. There's a, there's a uh, continuity involved. Look at 1323. <clears throat> know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Okay, What do you see there in that passage? <clears throat> okay, yeah, Timothy, Paul, Paul knows Timothy, right? Okay, who else knows Timothy? The Jews that are getting this letter, right? He doesn't, he doesn't explain to them who Timothy is. And what, what else is inferred? He says, our brother Timothy has been set free. He's been in prison. What, what about that? Yeah, they already knew about it, right? He doesn't say, oh, by the way, Timothy was put in prison. And he's been there for, I mean, he's been set free. Okay, so you knew he was in prison. So now I'm telling you the news, he's been set free. And hopefully we'll be there together with you soon. Okay, you see the familiarity. Look at 5, 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Okay? What, is that, what does that tell you about his knowledge of these people? He's known them for a long time, right? By this time, you ought to be teachers. So there's an inference that there's been a pretty long passage of time. And not only that, he knows what their progression has been. So you ought to be teachers. Look at 5.11. 
of whom, he's talking about Melchizedek, we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Once again, we see he's familiar with their progression and it's made a bad turn. You were doing great, you were hearing well, and now you've become dull of hearing. This is why at the end he says, bear with this word of exhortation. It's, it's not all happy, happy talk here in this book. And then look at 13.1. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. You've been doing brotherly love. Keep on doing it. Now let's look at chapter 6. I failed to write this one down, so let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, yeah, chapter 6, verse 10. <clears throat> For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So Paul, very intimately familiar with what they've done in the past and what they're doing right now. This book is an exhortation that takes into account their past history, where they are currently, and Paul is trying to reset their course. To reset it, to be consistent with the way they've done it in the past, and now they've veered off. That's what Hebrews is about. It's a word of exhortation. You see the familiarity. Now, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. You saw Timothy is the only real person we know that's named. Uh, how many books of the Bible did Timothy write? Zero. Okay. Anybody else? Everybody think zero? Anybody think something different than zero? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Look at 1 Corinthians. Let's take a look there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. So we see Paul, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother... So we got Sosthenes, who's a co-author of 1 Corinthians with Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians. He's got a different co-author. Who's the co-author of 2 Corinthians? Timothy. How about that? So it's at least one. Look at uh, Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. What do you see there? What do you see? Paul and Timothy. Yep. So... He's authored two books. Look at Colossians. He thought it was zero. What's the what's first one say? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. There's three. Look at 1 Thessalonians. You thought it was zero. <laughs> Maybe he was the main offer, huh? Well, Paul's Paul is named first. Paul, Silvanus. Did you know Silvanus wrote a book of the Bible? And Timothy, First Thessalonians. Let's look at Second Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. 
It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You're starting to wonder which books he didn't help write? Let's look at Philemon. If you can find Philemon. Where is Philemon? Titus. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Isn't that amazing? Six books of the Bible. Not to mention that he's the main recipient of the two pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, where Paul is saying, look, I'm about to die. You got to carry the torch. Don't be afraid of dying. There's a lot worse things in the world than dying. Being found disqualified, being found unfaithful at the end of your life is vastly worse than any death you can suffer. I don't mind dying at all. I know there's laid up for me something in heaven. I've laid up these things. They're waiting for me. I'm not worried about it. I'm worried about you chickening out because you're about to see me get killed. Timothy, the author of six books of the Bible... And he's getting this letter saying, don't lose the faith. Keep going. Don't chicken out. Don't lose those things that you've laid up in heaven. All the gold, silver, precious stones. Don't turn it into wood, hay, and stubble by chickening out. Timothy. So that's my main case as to why the author of this is Paul. Now, it sounds like Paul. It's Paul's message. It's the same message he gives in Romans and, he, and uh, Galatians. He just does it in a very Jewish way. But if it wasn't Paul, it's somebody that's in that group with Paul and Timothy. And if Paul and Timothy are this tight to have written six books of the Bible, along with Silvanus for a couple of them, it's that group. And it's got Paul's DNA in it in any event. So, as we go through this book... I'm going to refer to it as being written by Paul because I, I, I just think it is. Uh, Dr. Anderson thinks it's Paul as well, which is more, uh, more uh, credible than me. Okay? So we've got Hebrews written by a Hebrew, written to a group of people with whom he's very familiar, written... Uh, to people who are Jewish, expecting them to continue to be Jewish. Uh, Paul, writing to his fr friends and compatriots, along with Timothy. And the last thing we'll go through is the uh, use of the term brethren. Let's just uh, look at Hebrews 2. I'll read you the, the basic premise of the whole book here. I want you to notice the, the, the word brethren as we go through this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard. Now, in chapter 1, he sets out that in times past, we heard, from the, the, we heard through the prophets and the angels, these messengers, the word of God in the Old Testament, and everything that it said came true. Everything it said came true. And now we've heard from the very Son of God and God Himself firsthand. And those firsthand words were validated by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And if these things in the past came true that came through intermediaries, and now these things that are coming to us directly from God Himself through the Son, who's the heir of all things, then most certainly the things He says are going to be true. So... It was a bad idea to neglect the Word of God in the Old Testament. It's really a bad idea to neglect the Word of God coming straight from Jesus. Okay, that's the point he's going to make. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. Drift away from what? The gospel. The things we've heard. Okay? For if the word spoken through angels, the Old Testament, you'll see that, we'll see that in chapter 1 in, in spades, proved steadfast, and it did. Everything God said in the Old Testament came true. 
And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What kind of reward do you give your kids for disobedience, Trav? A just one. (laughs) Okay, that's right. Piece of candy? Probably not, right? Okay. So in this particular case, he's focusing on disobedient reward, rewards for disobedience. Obviously, he's going to talk as we go through this book about rewards for faithfulness too. But that's what this book is about. It's about rewards. It's about consequences of behavior. It's not about belonging. These are Jewish believers. There's no question about who they belong to. They're in the family of God. The question is, what are going to be the consequences of your actions? So we know in Israel that when Israel disobeyed, what happened to them? They got whacked, right? And God told them, God told them up front, if you don't follow me, if you follow idols instead, I'm going to bring in invaders. I'm going to, I'm going to exp- uh, purge you from the land. That's what's going to happen to you. Don't do it. Sent prophets. You're getting close. You need to turn. They kill the prophets. And then the consequence would happen. Over and over, right? Okay. So if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, Jesus. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts. Okay, so we're talking about salvation here. And we're talking about the full extent of salvation. And what we're going to see in subsequent weeks is the salvation he's talking here is the salvation from the fall. And this this next passage, uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 5 through uh, 11, is a quote from Psalm 8. Psalm 8 tells us what we were designed for. We were designed to rule the earth in perfect harmony with God. And that's the way we were in the Garden of Eden. And it's fallen. It's fallen apart. It's not happening right now. But what is happening is Jesus has overcome death. Where did death come in? The Garden of Eden. And death is what broke up what's supposed to be happening. And Jesus has overcome death. And we're now to follow Him to restore that from which we have been knocked off. That's that's what this whole thing's going to start unveiling. Okay? So, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he and he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. So what we're talking about here is being a brother with Christ. Look at 2.17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren. He became a person. So he could deliver us from death. And then we get to 3.1. And now we focus on the audience of the book. Therefore, holy brethren. Now, they are hard of hearing, holy brethren. They are in the process of drifting away, holy brethren. They are in danger of losing the rewards of their confession, Holy brethren, we'll see all that. But they're still holy brethren. Why? Why are they still holy brethren? They've been made holy by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, who paid the price once for all. Every sin. They're all forgiven. But we still have a choice. And the choice is, are we going to, what kind of reward are we going to get? Are we going to get the reward for disobedience? Are we going to get the reward for faithfulness? He's going to give us a whole bevy of examples. The hall of faith of people who finished to the end. He's going to talk about Moses who said, he 
esteemed the reproaches of Christ above the treasure of Egypt because he looked to the reward. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of that confession, Christ Jesus. So we're talking here to brethren. Look at 312. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living of God. You're holy brethren. Don't depart from following Jesus. The consequences of that are hideously awful. I'm going to give you all these examples from the Old Testament. And they're they're for our example today. And they're still relevant. Okay? That's what life is about. It's about obedience and following the example of Jesus, even to death on a cross, because the reward is there. Brethren, look at 10, 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Go to Jesus when you need help. He's your high priest. He'll give you what you need because you're a holy brethren. You've got access because of the blood of Jesus. You've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Take advantage of it. What we'll see is, what they've been trying to do, is use religious observance instead. And as important as religious observance can be to condition the heart, it can also be a hindrance if it's something you rely on. And that is the problem of our Hebrew recipients of this letter. Could easily be written to Bible church people. We tend to rely on religious observance, quiet times, devotional life, Bible knowledge, uh, relationships with other believers. And those things can be incredibly valuable and important to build our hearts of faith so that we can walk in obedience. But it's actually having a heart of faith to walk in obedience that's the big thing. And that comes through entering the veil of the holy place. And that's available for holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So this is the setup for the book of Hebrews. It's written by Paul, I'm going to claim. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just going to say that. Paul includes Timothy in the orbit, the co-author of six books with Paul if I counted correctly. Um, They're very familiar with one another. It's part of an ongoing conversation, it seems. Hebrews were continuing to practice Jewishness. They followed the law. They did temple sacrifice. You know, temple sacrifice is going to be re-inaugurated during the millennial kingdom. When Jesus comes back to reign again on earth, it's going to start up again. That's odd for us Baptisty kind of people to think about. But it's going to be a Jewish world. Um, and so these, these Jews were continuing to practice. All the while, the author of this is telling the Gentiles, you don't need that. If you, if, you become a, if you become a Jew, it's only because you're relying on the wrong thing. And it's, this is the exact same message that he's going to give the Hebrews. It's fine for you to do this religious observance stuff. Don't rely on it. All that stuff is a picture of the real thing. And the real thing is Jesus in heaven. You can go to your priest. It's fine. But he's not the real priest. Jesus is the real priest. You can have temple sacrifice. It's fine. It's a picture of Jesus who's died once for all. Don't rely on that stuff. If you do, then you're drifting away and you're going to lose your reward, which is something unthinkable. Don't do that. Follow the example of Jesus, who is obedient even to death, and he sat down at the right hand of God. 
This idea of sitting down is going to be a core theme as we go through the book. And we're going to see Psalm 110 as a core psalm. And we're going to see Psalm 8 as a core psalm. And these messianic psalms are going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And it's going to be explained to us in Hebrew 8. And we're going to have to get in the weeds a little bit to understand the Jewish perspective that these guys would have grown up understanding because that's what they were immersed in as children. But as we do, we're going to keep zooming out and seeing this overall progression. Okay? So, Jewish, Jewish practice is okay. Paul is okay with it. Paul kept doing it. He's got these friends. He wants them to follow the right path. He's not worried about them, whether they're Jewish or not. He's worried about their hearts. He's worried about their understanding. He's worried about them hearing. Why? Because he wants the consequences of their life to be total fulfillment and glory. And the alternative is you miss the opportunity and you have shame because you didn't take advantage of the opportunity while it was here. Okay? Book of Hebrews. I think it's going to be a really, really fascinating study. You're going to really enjoy it. Okay? Jesus, thank you for this amazing book. Uh, I, I thank you for the opportunity to, for us to get understanding, to restore our heritage, that uh, we're grafted into the tree, the trunk of, of Israel. And while we're still Jew, Gentiles and we don't need to be cultural Jews, we do need to understand our roots, the roots of Abraham and the promises you gave to Abraham, that he is the, our father because he believed the promise. And that as we graft into that root and we understand your relationship of covenant with the nation, we understand that it was an unconditional covenant of belonging. But the blessing was conditional on obedience. And it's up to us whether we want to have that blessing or whether we want to have the chastisement. And we are, here we are as two-year-olds or four-year-olds. And, and uh, you're giving us this great training as our Heavenly Father. Help us not not lose this opportunity and to embrace the chastisement that we gain, that we can grow and mature and become adults because that is a huge part of the blessing you have for us. God, help us just see it. And uh, we, 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 we praise each other together for this. In uh, Jesus' name, amen.